Tyler, I appreciate that and all of our extra work that's gone into our, our music so far. I know it's uh, for a lot of you, you have school and a lot of our teachers sing in the choir and uh, folks have regular jobs. They work before they come here and uh, it's a blessing when you look out time to time, you see folks have come straight from work in their work clothes and I just want you to know I appreciate that. It's an encouragement to us uh, that are here and uh, it's a blessing to your church to know that this is, this is that important. I know everybody can't make it and can't get here after work and are able to tune in. I'm thankful for that, but it's good to see you here tonight and looking forward to what God wants to do in our hearts for revival. Uh, you know, the Bible says there's two or more gathered, the Lord's in the midst. And uh, doing my math, I know I homeschooled for a few years, but you know, I'm doing the math and I think there's more than that here tonight. And uh, I believe the Lord's meeting with us. The question is whether we'll meet with him. The Bible says draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto us. Uh, you know, that shows that the uh, the burden is on us tonight to decide whether or not we want to draw nigh to him. And tonight, I promise you, the Lord is not going to withhold himself from you. Uh, the Lord is not going to withhold his word from you. He desires to speak to us. He desires to be near to us. The question is, will we take those first steps? It always amazes me after a service. I, I talk to people, I mean, my entire ministry. It's amazing when you talk to folks and they share with you after a message what God shared with them and what God dealt with them about, and oftentimes it has nothing to do with what was preached on. Uh, it can be totally something different that was off the subject of what the message was the pastor or the evangelist was bringing. You know what that told me early on in my ministry? Uh, that regardless of, of what I said, boy, I tell you, you tune into the Holy Spirit, and you're going to get what God wants you to have. And I tell you tonight, I know, listen, God's got something to tell you. God's got something to tell me, and we'll tune in. We'll hear it tonight. Uh, and we can leave here with what God wants us to hear if we're willing to do just that. And I pray you've got your heart ready and right. Uh, the Bible tells us in the parable of the, the sower, that really the result depended upon the heart that the seed fell upon. And boy, I wonder tonight what kind of a heart the seed of the Word of God is going to fall upon. And the result will be that. That will be the result. And I want to encourage you tonight. I want you to tune in and listen to the Lord tonight. Listen to the Lord. I've been kind of on the edge of my seat with the child's because uh, I know his testimony and I know the different parts of his testimony. And he says, I'm going to tell a little bit every night. And if I'm not mistaken, based on what is best I can tell, the good part comes tonight. Uh, I know how the Lord saved him and how the Lord's been using him ever since. But just amazed at what God has done in, in his life and uh, thankful for him and Mrs. Barbara. Uh, they're trying to get me more healthy. Uh, and uh, he took me to the gym this morning. He told me last night at dinner, I'll, I'll meet you tomorrow morning at 9. I says, all right, what we doing? We're going to pray together. Uh, you know, just get together. I says, no, we're going to go to the gym. And uh, I'm like, well, who is Jim? And uh, no, he says, uh, G-Y-M, not J-Y-M. And I said, we're going to go walk around the track at the YMCA and pray together. I just knew that's what we were going to be doing. There was nothing spiritual about it. Uh, they have torture machines up there in that place, and uh, I think we ought to have a, an internal investigation from the government into that place because it looks like a torture chamber with all the devices they have there, and uh, he says, all right, now on the way out, I want you to use the handrail going down the stairs, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm not going to need a handrail, okay? I, I'm not that old. I'm 44. Uh, I needed the handrail by the time it was done. My legs felt like jello, and these guys who go to the gym every morning before school, I, I look up to them a little better today, but uh, I'm glad I got work worked out a little bit physically, but I'm looking forward to getting worked out a little bit spiritually tonight, and I want to encourage you to open your hearts as you come. Brother Childs, come preach for us tonight.
hold him accountable. You ask him. Not listening? Loud enough? Am I on? I don't know. Are you coming to fix this? Or are you coming to fix it? You're coming to fix it? Uh-oh. You? Somebody from the back, get up here. Took a teenager to fix it for me, and I'll never live that down. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. Are we good now? Okay, thank you. I will repeat those last few words. Your preacher did very good today. I have pictures if you want to see them. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. A familiar passage to some, to most maybe. But please stand if you're able to the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 24 verse 13. And behold, two men, oh, sorry, and behold, two of them went the same day to the village and to a, a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three, three score furlongs. And they talked together and all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they were communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that have one to another as he walk and are sad? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you, dear Lord, hide me behind the cross, dear Lord. Let me be about your business, dear Lord. Let me have great liberty, dear Lord, to preach this evening. Heavenly Father, I ask that you open the hearts of Central Baptist Church, both here and online, and those that might tune in that are not members of Central Baptist Church. I ask that you open their hearts and let them hear from Jesus. Let them hear from the Holy Spirit the simple facts and truth of the Bible. And I ask, dear Lord, for those that aren't here, those that are sick, I ask a special blessing on them, the staff that is sick, the pit members that are sick, that you would heal them quickly, dear Lord. And you would watch over them greatly. We ask these things in your most heavenly and precious name. Amen. A couple things I want to talk about on the road to Emmaus. Um, we have two men who are going to encounter Christ. I want you to notice that in verse 24, it covers a great deal of material. You know, we have both a past tense and a present tense in chapter 24 just like Central Baptist Church. Central Baptist Church has a past and a present. And if we keep looking backwards, if we keep saying, as we used last night, the blue walls, the blue floor, it's not just how it used to be. If we keep our eyes focused backwards, then we're not present. So let me ask you a quick question. If the Lord wanted us to always pay attention to what was behind us, why is our rearview mirror this big and our windshield this big? We should always be looking forward. We should always be looking in the present to what the Lord would have. Do you have any idea? Now, I understand I have no musical talent. I got to be a part of the choir this evening. I got to flip the switch back here 
by his grace, he let me flip the switch to let everybody know we're leaving. I took that as being part of the choir, or at least when I leave here, that's what I'm telling the church in Maryland and the church in New York. Oh, yeah, I had to get the choir started. I'm not going to go into any detail with what I did. Just had to get the choir started. I felt very honored to be part of that choir. If you are a member, I got it. Give it to me. Let me answer it. Think about it for a minute. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You guys got to lighten up a little bit. You guys got to... That scorched earth from Sunday's gone. That had to be said. Now we'll move forward to a present tense. All right? But I forgot where I was there for a moment. Oh, yes. I want you to understand that if we are to be present here at Central Baptist Church, if we are to be present in the moment, we should always be looking for a place and an opportunity to serve at a greater capacity. Now, I, I know I pick on the silver hairs a little bit, and I'm going to continue to probably till I leave. But I just wonder, I just wonder if one of you has prayed about influence a teenager. I don't care which teenager it is. I know they smell sometimes. I know they're hard. They eat a lot. I'm only kidding, teens. They wear tennis shoes everywhere. But did you ever realize the wisdom that you have that you could invest just for five minutes before after service to them? So I had a, a, a lady, a young lady, I'll call her, come up to me and tell me she's been here 60 years. I haven't been alive 60 years. And she's been here 60 years. I wonder how many years she's been saved. So that led me to think about a few things. You're not an immature church. You're a loyal church to Jesus Christ if you will commit yourself to be even more loyal. So I just want to find out real quick here. In this section here, who's been saved 30 years? Okay, 40 years. 50 years, 60 years, oh my, oh I'd love to know how you got saved, 70, pretty close, pretty close, I don't mean to embarrass you by your age, but I, I, I 70 years, man I, I'm impressed, I am impressed, alright, I got a couple in mind, 40 years, Okay, 50, 60, uh-oh, 70, right in between, or 70 and more? Oh, okay. If you two could come up and see me after service and tell me how you got saved, I generally would love to know. I really would. Uh-oh, we're, we're in trouble here. We'll start here at 40 years. Yeah, put your hand down. 50, 60, 70, oh, amen, saved before him, huh? Wow. Did you know each other as, as kids? Same high school? Who pursued who? 
<laughs> I know the answer probably. Amen. Amen. All right, over here. 30, 40, 50. Did you raise your hand at 30? Brother Aaron, when did you get saved? Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> Hard to find out there for me. Okay, we stopped at 50. 50 years. Anybody in this section? 60? Nobody in the 60s, but the rest of them had it. Central Baptist Church, meet your youth group. There they are. There's the youth group. Friday nights, a teen activity. Feel free to come. So... I was saved as an adult. Last we knew, I was working on Wall Street in New York for one of the two largest financial houses. If I had a bad day at work, I told my secretary, I'd say, hey, Marie, let one of the headhunters call me. You know, we always got calls from other financial houses, and they would call in, and I'd say, I'll take one of their calls. You never take their calls. I said, I'll take one tonight or today. Headhunter. Hey, well, I never get you. Hey, listen, I'll offer you $190,000. We'll buy you a house. We'll do this. We'll do that. And that's how it would start. And I'd go, no thanks, but I appreciate it. And I'd hang up. And I'd get all puffed up in my chest. They made me feel good. That they wanted me. That the world wanted another piece of me. Now, I, I want to stress this. I wanted for nothing. There was no place. I'm a Minnesota Viking fan. Yes, I know. Pray for me. I'm a Minnesota Viking fan. In 1997, we led the NFL in scoring. We lost up in Atlanta on a field goal in the NFC championship game. What do you think I was doing right before that game? I was booking my seat, my flight to the Super Bowl. And I say that not to glorify the world. I say that not to say, hey, everybody go out and get a job, work as hard as you can, do everything. I did nothing but work. Nothing but work. I loved what I did. I was very good at it. I did hostile takeovers. I did initial public offerings. I had lawyers and investment bankers working for me. I, I, I didn't need Jesus. I didn't need you. But you never handed me a track. You never offered me uh, an invitation to church. Nobody did. I understand it was New York City. But there are churches in New York City and there are Christians in New York City. And then Gabriel, I won't use his last name, Gabriel, a fellow colleague at my financial house, came to me. And he had a few questions, and they were a little on the not legal side. Then he came back to me a second time, and he said, if you wanted to launder money, and you had X, Y, Z, what would you do? I said, Gabe, don't bother me with this stuff. Go away. He kept coming back and kept asking the same question. So I answered him, this is what you would do. Gabe left, came back a few weeks later, asked a more detailed question. 
I gave him another answer. Gabe came back a third time, and he said to me, and he slid an envelope across my desk. Gospel truth, people. He slid an envelope across my desk, and he said, they know I'm not coming up with these ideas because I can't answer their questions. Will you go meet with them? I said, who's them? He said, the Russian mob. See, you've got to realize the time frame that I was in New York City and working on Wall Street. The wall had fallen in 89. Russia was bankrupt. And they cut loose all of their KGB agents. They cut loose all of them. Said, we can't afford to pay you. They had access to money. They had resources. They had tools and skills. That's your Russian mob today. Ex-KGB. I looked at the envelope, it was about $15,000. I slid the envelope back across the desk and I said, Gabe, I'm not doing it. Remember how I was raised, a military school. Raised by a father, served in the Navy, a Naval Academy graduate. I knew character. I knew right and wrong. But I knew right and wrong in my flesh. He came back. And it was about $40,000 in the envelope. Now we've got a date and a place to go. Fort Lee Diner, Saturday, 7 a.m. I pushed the envelope back across the desk. I was not negotiating with the Russian mob. I had no intentions of doing this. A few months went by. And about $65,000 came back across my desk with a promise that I could start a stopwatch and I would only be there for 15 minutes. What do you think I did in my flesh? Jesus did not dwell within my heart. What do you think I did? I took the money. I went to Fort Lee Diner. I sat and met with a man. Now I expected probably what you expect of a KGB agent. No. I got a man who spoke like this. Found out years later he spoke like that because he didn't want to ever be recorded. And that's the truth. That's how he spoke. He was about five foot five in a tweed suit, immaculately dressed. Now I'm going to negotiate because they gave me eight cents on the dollar. I know you don't know money laundering terms, but eight cents on the dollar is about two cents above. They said, we think you're very good at this. I don't know why, I just gave them a few ideas that I had no idea it was theirs. I said, I'm not doing it for eight cents on the dollar. I'm not going to risk my career for eight cents on the dollar. Everything I've ever worked for for six years here on Wall Street, I want 12. He said, 10. I said, 13. I have a different way of negotiating. Every time you go down, I go up so that we could meet at my original number, which we did. 12 cents on the dollar. I then engaged in laundering money for the Russian mob in New York City for the next eight years. I did it so well, I did it in eight countries. 38 states. I was getting tax rebates from our government 
on illegal business that I was conducting. The whole time this was going on, I never touched a cigarette, I never touched drugs, I never touched alcohol. But boy, that filthy lucre. Okay? I never got caught. Never. I was good at it. I knew the financial world and the financial system. I see numbers. I honestly do. I see them. I can sit down, look at a church budget, and start calculating. I just see them. Gabe got caught in the state of California, registering one of our businesses. Gabe turned state's evidence. They then followed me for three months. During those three months, I was never videotaped, never recorded. Never did I ever talk to somebody I didn't know about the business. I talked to my people, my people only, and that was it. I was brought up on the Federal RICO Act. I was charged with 159 federal charges. You want to hear pride? You want to hear flesh? I'll show you. You don't like me? You don't like me. That's fine. That's fine. Jesus loves me. So I'm okay with it. Of those 159 charges, when the FBI and the Justice Department walked me out of my office in New York City, they took me to a federal courthouse, put me in a little holding cell, and I looked at those guys, and if you're from New York City, if you know this word, but if you don't, I'll explain it. I looked at them dead in their eyeballs, because I knew they weren't going to be able to get a case against me. I said, by the time you guys are slipping, your way home on the train, making $70,000 a year, I'll have a town car here to pick me up, take me back to my apartment that's worth more than both of your houses. Two guys. Pride. Because I had an attorney one of the best attorneys in the United States on retainer for $250,000 cash in his account. I called Jack on the phone when you get to make your phone call. Jack said, or I'm sorry, his assistant said, Jack has already heard. He is already at the courthouse. I was out in two hours. In two hours, I walked out. I didn't say anything mean. I just walked out. And I looked back at him. See you later. But you know, Jesus had a different way. Different plans for my life. I never thought I would see the inside of a jail cell. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of time, but I'll be sensitive to your time to get out of here at a decent time. I appreciate you being here. I spent the next few months defending myself, suspended, suspended, not terminated, suspended from my job. They knew I could make money. And if all of this went away, I would have went right back into the same job, most likely. I don't know. But of those 159 charges, they charged me with 12. They were going to give me a plea bargain of 12 years in a federal prison.
We, did, we rejected it. We said we're going to court. A year and a half later, we went to court. On the day that we walked into court, they said seven and a half years. Final offer. They had an air briefcase. They were not ready to go to court. We rejected it. And then we were upset that you even brought us here to this courtroom today, and you had no intentions of filing against me. But I did get found guilty. I went to trial, and I was found guilty. And of the RICO charges that I faced, of all the federal system charges that I faced, they threw on top as a little cherry charging me with a criminal enterprise. If you know anything about the law, it's the worst thing you can be charged with. Criminal enterprise. Like I was in a criminal corporation all by myself. Well, I kind of was. I kind of was. I went with the worst of the worst. Do not think I went to a federal prison where I played tennis and golf. Uh-uh. Not like that anymore. I went to a federal prison, an Ivy League graduate, a Wall Street executive. I went to prison. Now, I don't blame Jesus. I don't blame you. I put myself in that situation. But do you have an idea of the people that are out here on your streets, even if they are wearing a tie and a suit? Do you see where your tracks can do? Do you see what inviting them to church can do? That's as far as I'm going to go with my testimony this evening. Tomorrow night, I'll tell you about the greatest day of my life. I'll tell you about the greatest day of my life. And I'll give you a little, a little commercial. Who do you think came into prison? Some other Ivy League educated man? I was a captain of a debate team on an Ivy League school. How good do you think I would have been in debating you about the Bible if you wouldn't have used the Bible? Sharper than two-edged sword. The man that came in was from the Rock of Ages. And he was a seventh grade dropout. And he wore bib overalls and a tie when he came in to preach that Sunday. That is who led me to the Lord, and I'll tell you tomorrow night more about it. All right, I want you to see in chapter 24, from doubt to assurance, from unbelief to faith, from despair to joy, it's a progression. It just doesn't happen overnight. Oh, Jesus can give you peace for any sin. You're never out of the reach of Jesus Christ. Even in a prison cell. In the state of Missouri, wherever you are, in the state of Missouri, down toward Boot Hill, at a federal correction institute, I wasn't beyond the reach of Christ. Who led you to the Lord? Oh, I'd love to know, Silver Hair. Who led you to the Lord? Who led you to the Lord? Uh, young lady right there with your husband. I'd love to know who led you to the Lord. The fruit didn't die on the vine, but will it die on the vine with you? Will it die on the vine with you? Will you allow the things that distract you from serving, allow the things of your life, the things you hear, guard your ear gate. Guard your ear gate. 
guard it in such a great way that when it starts, if it's not about the Bible, if it's about bickering, no, I can't hear this. I'm a weak fleshly vessel. I got to be focused on Jesus Christ. I got to see what's going on here. See, I think, and please, I don't mean this, but it was a game, I'm sorry for the sports analogy, okay? There's a game-changing moment in every game. There's an adjustment in defense. There's a different play that's been swapped to the other side. If you're LSU, it doesn't matter. Just want to take a shot at Preacher, sorry. That shot I got. We were over at Preacher's house the other night, and we had dinner, and, and uh, we had snacks on a paper plate or whatever. I can't even remember, to tell you the truth. Um, we had snacks on a paper plate, and then when it was done, we were helping clean up, and I looked at him. I said, it's a good place for those LSU plates, right in the trash. It's a good place for them. I know you guys are probably, other people here are probably LSU fans too, so I just mean it toward Preacher. The rest of you LSU fans are probably okay. But if there's a game-changing moment in your life, we heard that the game-changing moment for some people in here was 60 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago. For some of you, we're still waiting for the game-changing moment. Just kidding. I gotta have like a just a sign joke around here sometimes. The game-changing moment in my life is when a seventh-grade mechanic farmer came to a prison cell they had been coming to for 24 years. They'd been coming to for 24 years. Seen very little fruit. Do you have any idea what it's like to preach in prison? Hmm? I can't go back to prison. They won't let me back in the fed prisons and the state has follows the charges. I've gotten in one prison, and that was in Mexico to preach, and I had a good time. See, we understand if, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, if you keep your eyes focused on Christ, your encounter with Christ will only grow stronger and sweeter. And I'm afraid some of you have taken your eyes off of Christ and put them on the world or put them on things that don't matter. Your friendships with each other. Amen, you have them. Amen, you get to fellowship with people. But when that fellowship runs counterfeit to the cause of Christ, then that has to be separated. That doesn't mean that you go to the house at midnight and throw eggs. That, that's not what it means. It just simply means, brother, I'll pray for you. Sister, I'll pray for you. I hope your heart gets right. And if I'm wrong, I tell you now, I'm sorry. Do you have any idea what I have to battle? Remember, he told you I was blood splattering him in his office on the phone, him and his wife, about the things that were going on here, about how I called national pastors and had them praying for you, praying for him. Do you know what their hearts are and what they want to say to you from this pulpit? I do. I do. And oh, is it, it brings tears to my eyes to think about what they want to say to you. And they don't want to say, you wretched heathens, how dare you? No, just the opposite, actually. 100%, 180 degrees, 
opposite. Glad the cross was behind me right there. The encounter with Jesus Christ happens in three areas. It happens first in His Word. Then it happens in, his, in the prayer. Have you spent that sweet, loving time? I'll tell you the truth. If you don't like me, oh well, here it goes. Ready? There are, I have a Bible reading schedule, right? I've got three of them. One with my wife, one with me. So listen, there are times that I read every bit of it. And there are times I get to the second sentence, second word, and I'm done. The Lord spoke to me and I'm on my face praying. Is that how you relish that Bible time? Is that how you hold on to it? Does it mean that much to you? That you read two sentences and you're already, hey, 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 I need to find, I know it. And you start looking, you start reading, you start praying. Or has that time gone by because of all the silver hair and all the years that has passed? First, it's in his word. Second, it's in his prayer. And the third encounter is through his church. Through his church. If we don't stand up for this church, Pick up our sword and battle for this church. Then the devil wins. Then the devil wins. And he's taking another church off. Another church that doesn't share the gospel. Another church that doesn't preach. More teens to the world and the walls that wait to rip at the flesh, to tempt them. Why do you think I love teenagers? I honestly do, whether you don't think I do or not. I know my heart. I know what I think of them. I love teenagers. I know they're a hard group to work with. But they give me hope. They give me hope for this country. They give me hope for the gospel. They give me hope that it resonates with them. See, I wasn't them. I wasn't saved like that. And I'll do anything for a teenager. I'll do anything for a teenager. Boy, girl, anything. I heard about someone who's the pastor's daughter. She gets all scared. I heard about someone who is a pastor's daughter. That's better. Is a pastor's daughter. I can't remember where I was. Sorry. But when I heard, I sent her gifts. Because I love her. Her countenance had been changed. And I didn't want it to. And I know a worldly gift doesn't replace the prayers of Jesus Christ to Jesus. It doesn't place the peace that he'll put in her heart. But I wanted to send her just something to let her know I'm thinking of her. My wife and I are praying for her. So as we go on that game-changing moment, I won't ask you for time. Psalms 119.63, turn to it if you want. What manner of communication is Jesus talking to the two on the road here? Psalms 119.63, I am. I am a companion of all of them that fear thee. And of them that keep thy precepts. Philippians 1 3, 
I thank God, familiar verse, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. I don't care what you think, Central Baptist Church, but that will be me. Yes, because of him and that family. But you don't think I've burned and etched you silver hairs into my heart? You don't think I prayed for you this morning? The church staff, how I've watched them. Today I found out they leave encouraging notes for their preacher. Amen. There's not a staff member here or not here that I have not prayed for greatly. I'm going to tell them I've got about 20 hours of prayer into your revival. About 20 hours, I track it. No other reason than this. I will not be guilty of not or being a stumbling block to revival at Central Baptist Church. I will dedicate myself to exhaust everything I have for the cause of Christ. I am mad like Paul for Christ. It's an obsession to me. I want to see souls saved. I want to see revival here. I want everything here to get back to work. Not back to a part where you say, well, we're a good church. No, we're too busy playing church. We're caught in a rut. We're caught in such a thing that we are busy playing church to be a church. We're caught up in such a way that we have habits. We have habits. I'm going to tear down the church for a moment. Scorched earth of yesterday's gone. You won't hear scorched earth anymore. Believe it or not, this isn't that. Adolf Hitler. Told you guys a little bit of a history buff. Adolf Hitler tried to capture the cross of Jesus Christ. Not the physical cross. But he wanted the cross. Hitler actually used the cross to begin the development and final approval of the swastika. I understand, and I, if you are a history buff like me, you know where the swastika originally came from, Japan. Believe it or not. But Hitler had a cross that he drew, that he wanted incorporated into the swastika because he knew, even Adolf Hitler knew, the power of the cross. The believers. In the German church, the German church stood back and let Hitler and his henchmen take it. Oh, if they just would have stood up, how many people would be alive? How many people would be in the Lamb's Book of Life? How many people in Hattiesburg, if you would just stand up, stop playing church, and be a church? How many people would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life with, I don't know, does the Lamb's Book of Life have an address? So they say, A.B. Child, Fulton Federal Correction Institute, Holt Summit, Missouri? Does it say that? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. But amen. 
won't, here, here, we'll make fun of the Cajuns. Isn't that something we're supposed to do here? Um, imagine how many Cajuns will be surprised that the Mississippians got saved. That a church in Hattiesburg, Central Baptist Church, got busy and start doing these things. I want you to turn real quickly to verse 25, if you will. So the two are on their walk. Jesus comes down with them, asks them about their communication. Uh, why is it the way it is? Why are you so sad? Look at the lack of faith. It's only been three days. They had their opinion of the way Christ should be. They had their opinion of the way things should be. You have yours. I have mine. But none of it matters if we can't point in the Bible. So look here in verse 25. Oh fools and slow to heart to believe. Christ talking to the two men on the road. The human heart can be so vile. The human heart can be so suspicious. The human heart can cast doubt. Ah, preacher just yells a lot. Oh, that preacher doesn't know what he's doing. Nah, that preacher's not even qualified to be a preacher. Based on what? Based on what? It's a good thing that the Lord called me to a closed country because I don't have Facebook. I don't have Twitter. I have none of that stuff. I think it's great for pictures of grandchildren. I think it's great to tell the team this is where we're going. But a lot of that stuff, I have no use for it. I have no use for what's on the social media. All it does is distract me and you from the Word of God. From a greater encounter with God. From a greater encounter in your life. To enrich your life. Let's just be truthful. Why do we stand here and rail at you like this? Why? So that I will feel better? I leave in a few days. I go preach in Maryland. But you will be here. Don't you understand that it is the love, the compassion, the duty and prayers of your pastor that revival happened in such a great way that those who are not here are restored. Adults, teens are restored. And if not, then oh well and amen. Those that are left, church, it's time to gird up your loins. It's time to march forward for the cause of Christ. And it's time to take Hattiesburg. Do we need a flag out front? Someone drumming? Do you play the drums, brother? No? Well, we're going to get you a drum. We'll get a flag and we'll just march into Hattiesburg. Down 49. Maybe that'll help. Maybe I could do it. Why are you grinning, honey? Look at you, I see you over there grinning. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even and dividing asunder the soul and the spirit. That's too hard for us to comprehend, dividing the soul and the spirit. So watch how Jesus, watch how God allowed his word. He, he said, our minds may not be able to handle that. So he said, and of the joints and the marrow, who shot a deer in here? Don't be embarrassed you didn't get a deer. 
no hunters in here? Two hunters? Three hunters? Four hunters? What's this? You shot and missed? That doesn't count. You shot and... Did you shoot and miss, really? It's a big deer. How big... How, did you shoot one of the little Bambies? How far away? Missed. Anybody in this side, deer? There you go. Okay, good, good, good. All right. Did you skin it yourself? Yeah. That bone and marrow? Yeah. You didn't cut something you weren't supposed to cut, did you? Uh, yeah, see? Wall Street boys shot a few things when I was younger <laughs> with Dad. So I want to show that there are two types of conditions that we have. Number one, either we don't recognize Christ in our life, or we have forgotten what Christ has done in our life. That's why I went through that exercise to find out 30, 40, 50, 60. Let me encourage you. I told this to a pastor. He was an elderly pastor. He was getting old. And I knew his family. Everybody was in church. And I said, brother, I won't use his name. I said, brother, I know how you got saved. To your great-grandchildren? He said, I said, brother, if I get a video of you giving your testimony, would you mind? So we went to his office. I pulled out my phone. And I told him, go. And I had to tell him, all right, stop. I got to send that because that's like too big a file. Go again. Keep going. Tell the rest of the story. Silver hair. Grandmother, grandfather. Record your testimony. My wife has a great, great grandfather. I told you that. It's precious to her. Precious. I have. Who's heard of Gladys Aylward? I have Gladys Aylward's Bible. Her last Bible on her last... China Inland Trip. I have Gladys Aylward's Bible. You want to know how the Lord goes before you? See, when we were married, I had to ask my father-in-law for my wife's hand in marriage. Watch how the Lord goes before you and you forget what he's done for you. My wife's church in England had a prison ministry and they were going in and out of there all the time. And then one day, they led a man by the name of Thomas Martin to the Lord. Oh, Thomas was mad like me. A mania. Thomas came out. He went to the church. Faithfully served in the church. Worked a job at night at a hotel. And joined their Bible Institute, their Bible college. Graduated. Still working at a hotel all night long. Taking classes 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning. Trying to catch some sleep between study and time to go back at night. Brother Thomas graduated. Brother Thomas went on staff of my wife's church. A prisoner saved in prison. Now my father-in-law and I are eyeball to eyeball. Wrong gears. Look me in my eyeball. Eyeball to eyeball. He knew what I wanted. I knew he knew what I wanted. But I had to tell him my testimony. And the Lord had gone before me 12 years and had Thomas Martin at their table multiple times, at their family dinner table. So when I told him my testimony, 
He said a few things about promising that my life will always try and get closer to Christ. A greater encounter with Christ, if you will. I said, the best of my ability, sir. He said, you have my permission to ask my daughter to marry you. I said, sir, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I'll tell Mrs. Morrison if that will make it better for you. And he said, there's milk matters and meat matters. Son, I'll take care of Mrs. Morrison. That night we had dinner with Mrs. Morrison and all she could do was cry and rub my arm. I looked at my wife and I said, is this all right? And she said, you're good. We're good. That was over 20 years ago. The Lord will go before you if you recognize who Christ is in your life and the power and the authority and the commands that he has in your life. You can't pick and choose. It's not a buffet. I don't want a little bit of tomato. I don't want a little bit of salad dressing. Your preacher doesn't like tomatoes, do you? Just all right. Huh. Okay. I was with him when he ordered a salad. We're on a preacher 2.0 with his health. It's that serious. 2.0, you're going to eat good, you're going to work out, you're going to sleep good, you're going to drink water, not going to drink coffee. The rest of it I'll tell you privately. But I saw him order a salad and he didn't like tomatoes. And I thought, hmm, didn't know that about him. But you like tomato sauce. I see what you're saying about him sometimes. He's a little fickle, didn't he? Have you forgotten what Christ has done in your life? Have you failed to recognize what Christ is in your life? Do you really want a greater encounter with Christ? The way we encounter Christ, a risen Christ, is not by reaching out beyond our grasp, beyond our brief, our duties. It's not the way we encounter a risen Christ. And this is my last point. The way we encounter a risen Christ is not by our eyesight, by looking at something or some position and saying, I want that or I esteem to get that position. That's not how you do it. You shoulder to the grindstone. You work for the cause of Christ. And all of a sudden, somewhere, out of nowhere, someone will tap you on the shoulder and go, Hey, brother, I got an opportunity for you. You want it? Does that sound familiar to you? An opportunity. Just to come down. That's how I heard some of your staff got here. Just an opportunity. The way we encounter our risen Christ is reaching for the Word of God by bending our knee and being on our knees over prayer. That's how we encounter our risen Christ. I want you to just bear with me in our verse our text verse, it tells us how far the journey was on the road to Emmaus in Jerusalem. Seven mile journey. Take two hours and 30 minutes to make the trip. That's it, three miles an hour. Brother Jeremiah knows about three miles an hour now on the treadmill. That's why I kept pointing to it today. I made him walk. And he had to run. And he said, I want to walk again. <laughs> I said, okay. Actually, he did great. He really did. But if you, I won't take time. I want to be sensitive to get you home on a Monday night. But I want you to know, seven miles, two hours, 30 minutes, three miles an hour. 
They got there, turned around and went back. 14 miles. How far are you willing to go for Central Baptist Church and the cause of Christ? How far are you willing to go for revival? How far are you? Oh, no, I don't want you down there on the Longleaf Trail. I ran the Longleaf Trail today with my wife. We went for a run. After I did him, I went for my run. But I don't want you to go on a seven-mile journey. But I want you to have the patience to make that trip. I want you to have the patience with your pastor as he redevelops, as he changes, as he gets back what he and I call back to Brother Jeremiah. Back to your pastor. But back to the man that I knew. The man I somewhat admire. What did he say last night? Am I right? Were you listening? Or was I the only one? He preached at 13 from behind a pulpit. Is that right? At 13. Imagine that. So we'll just do a quick 13 to 23. There's 10. To 33. There's 20. To 43. That's 30 years he's had behind a pulpit. 30 years he's been around men of God, preachers. I think he's learned a, f a thing or two. And I don't mean from man, but from God's word. As every eye is closed and everybody were to stand to your feet if you're able. As we close this revival and the musicians make their way, I have a few questions for you. Do you remember Peter weeping for what he'd done to Christ and then jumping in the surf and the joy later? Do you remember Thomas doubting and then later praising? Saul was never the same after his encounter with Christ. What game-changing moment are you going to have during revival? You had a game-changing moment to save you. And amen, you did. I praise the Lord for the decades you've been saved. As the music begins to play, you make your way to an altar.